Hello, my name is Morgan Gray, and welcome back to the Afrocentric Podcast. Nobody act black and then go home and be white. It only takes a little bit of white brainwash to activate the cool chip in the average Negro. And a lot of white folk have demonstrated eloquently that they don't have no sense. Well, guys, the war on drugs has officially ended and the drugs have officially won. Since President Joe Biden has announced that he will be granting pardons for simple federal marijuana position convictions, I think that it's time that the black community educates themselves about the correlation between drug culture in America and our black community. Moreover, it's past time to change our perspectives towards drugs and our attitudes towards the people who interact with them. And for a community that's so obsessed with drug culture, easily influenced by the mafia and drug cartels, and so heavily incarcerated for drug-related crimes, our community lacks education about drug-related issues and is systemically vulnerable to drug-related arrests. With this in mind, the Afrocentric Podcast would like to have an open-minded conversation about drugs and consciousness, the history of Black people and drugs in America, negative stereotypes and stigmas associated with drug usage, which is rooted in white supremacy, as well as drug safety tips and resources. Remember, kids, stay in drugs, eat your school, and don't do vegetables. Drugs are great. Psychedelics are so cool. I love hallucinogens. Give me some now. Before I dive into this conversation, I really want to preface two things. Number one, I am not trying to convince people to take drugs, participate in drugs in any way, shape, form, or matter. Um, This conversation is solely to change people's perspectives about drugs as well as the history of black the black community and their correlation with drugs in america um personally i feel like in the next 50 years or so um drug culture will be so heavily integrated with like day-to-day life and not just in a negative way in a positive way i feel like um drugs like psilocybin marijuana have unlocked the key to um, healing a lot of diseases such as um, depression, anxiety, Crohn's disease, arthritis, um, schizophrenia, like, as well as helping create and foster hopefully a more peaceful environment if taken correctly. Um, as well as um, creating a more expansive sense of environment and self, something more peaceful because consciousness has been um, expanded. 
So the first thing that I wanted to hyper-focus on is drugs and consciousness. So I have to start off by saying that psychedelics played a large role in human evolution, right? So the first topic we'll be talking about is the stoned ape theory. And I know none of you niggas have heard about it. And if you have, I'll give you a cookie. Okay. So essentially, um, the stone ape theory was created by Terrence McKenna and his brother, Dennis McKenna. And the theory states that a community of proto-humans may have consumed magical mushrooms that they found in the wild. And the act of consuming these consuming psilocybin or magical mushrooms changed their brains okay so essentially this theory states that in Africa like I said there was a large amount of people and they were migrating from one area and y'all know in Africa they had the lions and the bears and the elephants and the bees. And as they eat food, what they make? Good. Yep, that's right. They make good. So when they make good, the mushrooms, they come out of it. So as they're migrating out of whichever sub-Saharan African location that they started off to their diets changed. And as they were scavenging for food, they started to consume hearty, fluffy, thick mushrooms. And they just so happened to be psilocybin. And through many years of consuming these shrooms, um, like, I mean, generations, centuries, it, um, their diets really caused an evolution in the brain. Yeah. So... I think that that's a very interesting way to be able to look at how we got from there to how we got from now, because we know that we as humans are still developing. We still develop into this day. But it's interesting to see how different people look at the transition in which we're going through. So before I move on to the next subject, I wanted to read this quote and it says, McKenna positioned that psilocybin caused the primitive brain's information process capability to rapidly recognize, which in turn kickstarted the rapid evolution of cognition that led to early art, language, and technology written in Homo sapiens' archaeological record. As early, early humans, he said, we ate our way to higher consciousness by consuming these mushrooms, which he hypothesized grew out of animal manure. Psilocybin, he said, brought us out of the animal mind and into the world of the articulated speech and imagination. They're so cute. Love that for my people. Yes, you better eat your way into higher consciousness. Oh, um. The climate change and as the savannas increase and our primate ancestors came out of the, out of the forest canopies, they're, they're tracking across the savannah. And if you're a hunter, what do you look? You look for footsteps and you look for scat. Uh, and the most significant fleshy mushroom going out of poop in, in Africa, hippopotamus, elephant, you know, uh, deer, antelope, etc., um, is Slosby cubensis. It's a very large mushroom. You're hungry. You're with your clan. You consume it, and then 20 minutes later, you're you're 
are catapulted in this extraordinary experience. Psilocybin substitutes as serotonin, becomes a better neurotransmitter, activates neurogenesis, it causes new neurons to form, new pathways of knowledge. So that's a stone date hypothesis, and it speaks to a mystery that the human brain, uh, basically the brain cavity doubled in size in about two million. So the next topic that I wanted to talk about was ancient Egyptians and the blue lotus flower. Now, I feel like we all know about the lotus flower bomb, but um, the blue lotus flower, also known as the blue flower, the blue lotus lily is depicted as the symbol of life or the symbol of yeah, life and it shaped the Nile River and it symbolized, say it with me, life. So a lot of you, when you look at hieroglyphics, you can see these Egyptians, um, especially in King Tuttahum's, um tomb, he was actually buried with the blue lotus flower. So a lot of people would like to make it seem like um, in these hieroglyphs, these people were smelling the fragrance or scent from this flower. But the Egyptians believed that if you smoke the blue lotus flower, that you would um, receive consciousness because it also was a hallucinogen, if I did not make that clear. And essentially, they believed that um, they could get in contact with higher spirits and they used this flower to conduct healing rituals. And people still smoke the blue lotus flower today. Yeah. And I think that is so sweet. It's the sacred lily of the Nile and is depicted all over it. So you have to understand when we're talking about drugs that number one, drugs have been around for an extremely long time, like longer than what people will make it out to seem like. And we see drugs or the usage of drugs in every single culture like throughout the world, but specifically in Africa, as well as like in countries like India or in China. But y'all know that I'm talking to the real stoners up in this motherfucker today. The ancient Egyptians definitely used psychedelics. Their psychedelic of, of choice was the blue water lily, which was uh, tinctured in, in wine. And uh, bottles of this were found in the, the tomb of Tutankhamun, as a matter of fact. It induces a deeply altered state of consciousness and opens up visions and, 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 and possibilities. It induces a dreamlike visionary state. It's all over ancient Egyptian art, and the Egyptologists that tell you that they're holding those just to sniff the perfume. No, <laughs> they're not. They're venerating them for their effects on consciousness. Mm. And to which we should add that the ancient Egyptian tree of life was an acacia tree, mm. uh, and its bark contains dimethyltryptamine, the most right. powerful hallucinogen known to man. Moving right along, there is a very strange and close tethering that the black community has with drugs more specifically marijuana and i really want to take the time to unpack it with you guys today so the first thing that i wanted to introduce to you guys is the fact that the south grew hemp during the element um the um in the antebellum south okay so there is a large amount of African-American slaves 
who works on hemp plantations, especially in Kentucky. And the, cultiva the cultivation power remained in the South and they grew the hemp, they planted it, they harvested and they processed the hemp and they used the hemp um, to make clothes, um, tablecloths, things of that nature. And they preferred hemp over cotton during this time, but hemp was not as profitable because there was such high labor cost to prepare the fibers and preparing hemp on plantations was a very excruciating job. What I wanted to point out is without hemp, slavery would not have existed in Kentucky and none of their crops would have required the use of bondsmen. So in James, Hop in James Hopkins' book, and the name of the book is The History of Hemp Industry in Kentucky, he states Kentuckians sometimes refer to hemp as a nigger crop, owning to the belief that no one understood its eccentricities as well as expert in handling it as the Negro. A Lexington stated in 1836 that it was almost impossible to hire a workman to break a crop of hemp because the work was very dirty and so laborious that sacred, sacredly any white man would work at it. Anyway, he continued to say that the task was done through slave labor. The thing about the use of hemp cultivation, agriculture in America is the fact that there was a handful of enslaved people who earned their freedom. So I want us as Black people to look at hemp as a way to free our people both through wages and freedom as well as a way to escape through the day-to-day -day struggles of enslavement, okay? In fact, they said that slaves that worked in the hemp industry were happier than other slaves because they were given freedom and wages. But no one can imagine the medical qualities that cannabis contribute to their good spirits as well right? Not everyone was capable of working with hemp. Only the strongest and most intelligent of these enslaved workers could do the job. So it was something to be very proud of. So specifically in Kentucky, their hemp industry actually collapsed after the Civil War. And not only were the slaves freed, but the cotton industry within the state um, disseminated and it, it eliminated the primary market. So, like I said, instead of looking at marijuana and the people who use marijuana or hemp or anything as like such a, you know, the devil's lettuce, you have to look at it at the fact that it helped liberate the minds of Black people as well as eliminating them from bondage. So, I think that's just um, that's so beautiful. Man, ain't nothing wrong with smoking weed. Weed is from the earth. God put this here for me and you. Take advantage, man. All right. All this sweet shit to the side. It's time to get into the bullshit. Let's go ahead and start talking about the war on drugs because y'all knew that shit was coming. So 
Let me read y'all the definition of the war on drugs. Ready? Read. The war on drugs is a phrase used to refer to a government-led initiative that aims to stop illegal drug use, distribution, and trade by dramatically increasing prison sentences for both drug dealers and users. The movement started in the 1970s and is still evolving today, and it has racist and political objectives, okay? So when we are talking about the war on drugs, you have to understand that it didn't just come to be. There was an evolution. There was a series of laws passed um, regarding drugs. But I want to talk about the drugs that severe the laws that severely impacted the African-American community as well as other minorities. So the first law we're going to talk about is the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. So in 1937, obviously, the Marijuana Tax Act was passed and this federal law placed a tax on the sale of cannabis, hemp and marijuana. Hmm. So you're telling me that the government was already making money off of the sale of cannabis, hemp, and marijuana in 1937, and it wasn't no problem. Okay. The act was introduced by Representative Robert L. Dunton of North Carolina and was drafted by Harry Whiteman. I can't read his last name, and I'm not going to sit up here and try to. While the laws didn't criminalize the possession or use of marijuana, it included a hefty penalty if taxes weren't paid including a fine up to $2,000 or five years in prison. President Richard M. Nixon made his soul rot in hell, included a fine up to, he signed the Controlled Substance Act, CSA, into law in 1970. So this is about 40 years past. And the statute called for the regulation of certain drugs and substances. So this is where my real dope smokers, my real drug addicts, niggas who mamas used to be on drugs, this is where they're going to say and they're going to shake their heads and say that's real. The, CA, the CSA outlines five schedules used to classify drugs based on their medical application and potential for abuse. Okay. A schedule one drug considered the most dangerous as they pose a very high risk for addiction with little evidence of medical benefits. Let me read the list. <coughs> that would be marijuana, LSD, heroin, MDMA, which is also known as ecstasy, and other drugs are included on the list of Schedule One drugs. Now, out of all these drugs I listed, tell me which one don't fit. I wait. All right, then. Act like you know. Now, the substance is considered least likely to be addictive, such as cough medicines, with small amounts of codeine fall into Schedule 5 category. Codeine. Now, not to mention these drugs that they give the babies who got quote-unquote ADHD, ADD, um, attention span issues. Now, they have large amounts of heroin in them. They're not considered Schedule 1 drugs. They might be a Schedule 4, Schedule 5, just as addictive, just as harmful. 
Now, we need to hyper-focus on the fact that marijuana is a Schedule 1 drug and ask ourselves why. Don't worry about it. If you ain't figured it out, I'm going to get into it. So in June of 1971, Nixon officially declared a war on drugs, stating that drug abuse was public enemy number one. Lord have mercy. I just don't understand why they got to be in the folk business so bad. Them drugs wouldn't bother you. A rise in recreational drugs used in the 1960s likely led to President Nixon's focus on targeting some types of substance abuse. As a part of the War on Drugs initiative, Nixon increased a federal funding of drug control agencies and proposed strict measures such as mandatory prison sentences for drug crimes. Now, this is where shit gets sticky. During a 1999 interview, somebody had asked President Nixon's domestic policy chief, what's his name? Y'all know I just can't pronounce the white folks name. Let me see if I can sound it out. Now, the first name is John uh, Elrichman. Elrichman. I'm spelling it so y'all see I'm not lying. E-H-R-L-I-C-H-M-A-N. Elrichman. John Alertman provided inside information. He was snitching, suggesting that the war on drugs campaign had altered motives. Ooh, suggesting that, quote, the Nixon campaign in 1968, the Nixon White House after that had two enemies. Now, remember, Nixon said we had one. Now we got two. Who the two enemies, Nixon? The anti-war left. And black people, where I'll be. He goes on to say, Do you understand what I'm saying? We know we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana, the blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders and raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. Now that's a bold son of a gun. I tell you the truth. Now, if you think I'm lying, um, not only is this source will be cited in my um blog, you can check out Harper's Magazine, the 1994 issue. This is John Eltrich, Nixon's chief domestic advisor. All right. Now, we cannot highlight the lows before we take and highlight the highs because we know that shortly after Nixon got impeached. Do we give a fuck about that? No. We know Nixon playing in Santa's and Satan's booty hole and hell and conversing with the queen. We ain't got nothing to do with that. So let's focus on the next president. That'd be President Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, Mr. Carter, paging Mr. Carter. Hello, Timmy, where you been? Yes, in 1977, after running a political campaign to decriminalize marijuana, during his first year in office, the Senate, the Senate Judiciary Committee voted to decriminalize up to one ounce of marijuana. Um, it's not a lot. But I will say that's very progressive for 1977. Love that for you, Mr. Carter. Love that for you, dog. 
But, you know, the bullshit is just getting started. Stay tuned when, um, because I'm finna get on Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan bobbleheaded ass. Just give me a second. I'm gonna get to it. End the war on drugs through decriminalization. Richard Nixon started the war on drugs in 1971. Of course, we now know, as we did then, that it wasn't a war on drugs. It was a war on people of color and the poor, and led to the highest incarceration rates in the world on the basis of criminalizing nonviolent drug offenders who, at worst, are self-medicating for mental health and desperately need help, not punishment. Not to mention that this criminalization also leads to the mass execution of the mentally ill by police who have absolutely no idea how to handle people suffering from drug addiction and mental health crises. With just an executive order, Biden could pardon all nonviolent drug offenders, deschedule cannabis, and thereby eliminate strict sentencing and policing. And and, 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 and and let me just say this. And let me just say this. I know one thing. I know that Ronald Reagan has so many similarities and parallels to Donald Trump that it is uncanny. It is unfathomable. Okay? Ronald Reagan was not a politician. He was a Hollywood star. Big money bags. Cripping cracker. Out there in Hollywood. Now, Nancy Reagan... Um, yeah, she was the mouth of the West. She went the mouth of the South. She was a dick sucker, bobblehead, gawk gawk. Yes, Nancy was. She was known for um being a sex worker out there in California. And that's actually how she met the former and late president, Ronald Reagan. Yes, her hair was so good he couldn't let her go. He moved her into the White House after he ran for president in California and won. So now that I done got on her loose neck ass, yes, they said Nancy's throat was so good you could, uh, they said their throat was like throwing a hot dog down the hallway. That's what they said. They said she could suck a golf ball out of a water hose. That's what she said. She could suck a peanut out of a straw. I love that for that young lady. I hope she down there sucking Satan. His toenails. Amen. So in the 1980s, President Ronald Reagan reinforced and expanded many of Nixon's war on drugs policies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in the 19 in 1946, his wife, Nancy Luce Neck Reagan, launched the Just Say No campaign. Nancy got on that podium and said, just say no. That's the best advice she had which was intended to highlight the dangers of drug use. Now, and y'all can blame your mama, your grandma, your aunties for all this bullshit, all this drug, what marijuana is what gateway drug. This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? All that. Y'all can blame that. All your struggles and stress and strife regarding you and your little gorilla pinky Y'all can blame it on these two motherfuckers right here. So President Reagan focused on drugs and passing the severe penalties of drug-related crimes in Congress and state, state legislators, which led to a massive increase in incarcerations for nonviolent drug offenses. Okay, this is a lasting legacy of their administration. And as time went on into the 1990s, Bill Clinton and his three strikes and you out rule bullshit. And I can't wait for him to die. That's going to be another great day for the black community. I hope we two step on that nigga grave and he'll fucking pedophile too. But I'm not going to get into that. All these people, they set up all these different forms of legislation in order to fuck us 
us up and to set us up. And it's sad that y'all don't really know it or really understand to what extent that they did it. So in 1986, the Congress passed the anti-drug abuse bill, which established mandatory minimum prison sentences for certain drug offenses. This law was later heavily criticized as having racist ramifications because it allowed longer prison sentences for offenses, including the same amount of crack cocaine used more often by black Americans as powdered cocaine used more often by the cracker folks. Five grams of crack triggered an automatic five-year sentence while it took 500 grams of powdered cocaine to merit the same sentence. Now that don't make no kind of pick of sense. Not a lick of it. Moreover, Critics also pointed to data showing that people of color were targeted and arrested on suspicion of drug use at higher rates than whites. Overall, the policies led to a rapid rise of incarcerations for nonviolent drug offenses. Let me give you the stats. <coughs> for 50,000 in 1980 to 400,000 in 1997. Those are incarcerations for nonviolent drug offenses. Them your uncles, them your daddies, them the niggas from down the street that your uncle used to play basketball with. Nonviolent. They was minding their business. Listen to this now. Listen to this number again. From 50,000 in 1980 to 400,000 in 1997. That's a 17-year gap. And it done, I, you know, I know I got a degree in history. I don't have no degree in math. But it done did more than quadruple, if you ask me. And I'm just hypothesizing. So in 2014, nearly half of the 186,000 people served time in federal prisons in the United States have been incarcerated for drug-related charges, according to the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Guess what skin color they got? Mm-hmm. Still nigga. They sitting in parchment right now. They down the street for nonviolent acts. They send in parchment. They send in Angola right now because the government wanted to schedule marijuana as a, a, a level one crime drug and has not updated it. Y'all, I know this is hitting home for y'all, but it's okay because we finna get deeper into it. So while the government was holding on their cute little posters and they was like, we're on drugs, say no, just say no. They was really flooding our communities with uh, crack cocaine. So let's go ahead and talk about, yeah, the crack epidemic in the 80s because that shit is fucking real. So according to the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency, by the late 1970s, there was a huge glut of cocaine powder being shipped into the United States. Ask yourself by who and why. This caused the price of the drug to drop by as much as 80%. Faced with dropping prices for their illegal product, 
drug dealers converted the powder to crack, a solid form of cocaine that could be smoked. Broken into small chunks or rocks, this form of cocaine could be sold in smaller quantities for more people for to make a bigger profit. It was cheap, simple to produce, easy to use, and highly profitable for dealers. Um, I don't know the recipe. I know it got a little baking soda, and you know you got to do that water whipping. That's why I be listening to Gates. He about giving you the recipe to the crack. I know that you can make it like um in a coffee pot. And then, you know, this sounds like a fun little science experiment. This sounds fun. I love experiments. Um, So as early in the 1980s, reports of crack um, were appearing in Los Angeles, San Diego, Houston, as well as in the Caribbean. Now, these areas are highly populated with Black people. These populations of black people are the descendants of those who migrated from the antebellum south so you're telling me that within these cities these the governments and institutions and these entities systematically put and push this drug and they systematically targeted towards black people then they demonized the black people who are being addicted to the substance that they forced pushed in and placed us in then they then they incarcerated y'all and put y'all in jail those are mothers fathers granddaddies and uncles and then 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 y'all got the nerve the ad, the gall the analytic gall to sit up here and blame black women for the separation of of the black family the black nuclear family which is also a fucking myth rooted in white supremacy and racism Y'all niggas be out y'all fucking mind. If y'all want to blame somebody for the, the, the black community, why not just blame the white person? Why you can't just blame the government and the people? They the ones that don't give a fuck about you. The black woman was just trying to survive. And that was off topic, but you know, sometimes I just got to step on y'all niggas next. So that is the crack epidemic. Now, it severely impacted our communities. It is still impacting our communities. What I want us all to focus on is the response to the crack epidemic with the black community and then sit up here and think about the response that America is having with the opioid epidemic right now. If you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, you stick around to the very mere end of this episode and we're going to talk about it. Okay. All right. TT love y'all. Drugs and propaganda. Now, I know some of us are not that smart, so let me go ahead and define what propaganda means. Propaganda is information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political point or point of view. Okay, so as we, some of us, let me not speak for all of us, know Propaganda is oftentimes used to sway the public to believe a certain thing and is very, very problematic. So let's talk about how the man, the white man, had his foot on a nigga neck and was using the media to manipulate the black mind and the masses in order to associate the black man with drugs. Mm, that's powerful, Sister Morgan. Yes. So let's start in 1936 with the release of the propaganda film 
Reefer Madness. So Reefer Madness, which was released in 1936, it incited panic in the American people, specifically the white community, because y'all know they fearful of everything, but they commit the most crimes. It was here that the inaccurate depictions of marijuana really began as the film showed the first time consumers of situations, including hallucinations, attempted rage, and even murder. Now for the bulk of us that like to participate in the ritual of puffing and passing, you know, we do as Cat Williams once stated, we get happy, we get sleepy, we get happy, we get hungry, and we get sleepy. Okay, that's it. I ain't never really seen nobody off that lizard pack, you know, hallucinating and attempting rape and murder. You know, if anything, if you is on them Obama rants, um, and you do get the hallucinating, attempting to rape and murder people, you probably got uh, laced, you know. So maybe that's not a reflection of the lizard pack. Maybe that's just a reflection of your weed man. Anywho, um, a year later, after the film Reefer Madness um, came out and was released, that is when this Marijuana Tax Act um, was passed. It was passed in 1937, okay? So taxing cannabis sales for the first time. Remember, they was making money off of the taxation of um, not just cannabis, but hemp, okay? So the man behind the marijuana tax, I'm going to say his name, bear with me. His name is uh, Harry Aislinger, Aislinger and Slinger. There you go. All right. He was the first to connect. He was the first one to put two and two together. And it made 63. That supposed violent marijuana-induced crimes correlate with black people and Hispanic people. Now, I don't know how he got from point A to point B without being racist. Okay, so this is what Hera Aslinger, and I just don't understand how the white people can't pronounce no name white they can't pronounce not name, nigga name, Indian name, Chinese name, but I gotta sit up here and use my context clues and sound this nigga name out. This is what Hera and Slinger had said. And I quote, there are a hundred thousand total marijuana smokers in the United States. The most are Negroes, Hispanics, Filipinos, and entertainers. Their satanic music. Jazz and swing result from marijuana usage. This marijuana caused white women to seek relations with Negroes, entertainers, and others. Now, just think about this. Because they're using religious language in order to criminalize and demonize marijuana as while at the same time associating it with whatever minority they could think of not just the negroes because we first the hispanics then they brought the filipinos up in here and then grouped every entertainer in this bad boy just entertainers generally it don't matter what type of entertainer you are you could be a rapper you could be a clown you know what i'm saying you could do tap dance. 
as long if you out here entertaining shit, I be out here entertaining niggas. So I guess I'd be grouped up in here too. But back to this satanic language, listen, this language of religion, their satanic music, jazz and swing result of marijuana usage, result from marijuana usage, basically saying that because of the marijuana, they, the, the American community, the black community as a specific have created, cultivated and inspired jazz and swing and it's stemming from marijuana and then calling it satanic satanic which really just shows you the reflection of how they feel about the things that were created by black people as well as a way of trying to convince other non-black people that it was wrong but to sit up here and blame the marijuana and inanimate object this marijuana causes white women to seek sexual relations with the negroes the entertainers and others don't this seem like a white woman problem I'm just saying. The years that follow shifted the view of marijuana from a dangerous drug that incited violence to one that was stereotyped as making you lazy and unmotivated as a gateway drug that would lead to harder drug use. This image of cannabis and those who consume it is something that stuck, unfortunately, as the war on drugs took hold in the United States. Many college students have gone to college and gotten hooked on drugs, marijuana, and alcohol. Listen, stop trying to be somebody else. Don't try to be someone else. Be yourself and know that that's good enough. Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to be like someone else. Don't try to act like someone else. Be yourself. Be secure with yourself. Rely and trust upon your own decisions, on your own beliefs. You understand the things that I've taught you. Not to drink alcohol, not to use drugs. Don't use that cocaine or marijuana because that stuff is highly addictive. When people become weed heads, they become sluggish, lazy, stupid, and unconcerned. Sluggish, lazy, stupid, and unconcerned. That's all marijuana does to you. Okay? This is mom. Unless you're taking it under doctor's um, control, then it's regulated. Do not smoke marijuana. Do not consume alcohol. Do not get in the car with someone who is inebriated. This is mom. Call me. Bye. Whether you guys choose to admit it or not, drugs influence popular culture and in turn impact the present in the modern day climate. Okay. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about is Joe Biden and his announcement that he will be granting pardons for a simple federal marijuana possession conventions. So I'm going to go ahead and read a little part of it. Now, I, Joseph Rutherford, Wilson, Carnegie, Rothschild, Wahlberg, Walton, Vanderbilt, Rockefeller, Clinton, Biden Jr., do hereby grant a full, complete, and unconditional pardon to one, all current United States and lawful president, 
permanent residents who committed the offense of simple possession of marijuana and violation of the Controlled Substance Act is currently codified at 21 U.S.C. 844 and are previously codified elsewhere in the United States Code or in violation of D.C. Code 489-0401-D1 on before the date of the proclamation, regardless of whether they have been charged with or prosecuted for this offense or on before the date of the proclamation. And two, our current United States citizens and lawful permanent residents who have been convicted of the offense of simple possession of marijuana in violation of the Controlled Substance Act is currently codified at 21 USC 844 and is previously codified elsewhere in the United States Code or in violation of DC Code 48904.01 D1 which pardon shall restore to them full political, civil, and other rights. My intention by this proclamation is to pardon only the offense of simple possession of marijuana in violation of federal or in violation of D.C. Code 48904.01D1 and not on any other offense related to marijuana or other controlled substances. No language herein shall be construed to pardon any person for any further offense, including the possession of other controlled substance, whether committed prior, subsequent, or contentriously to pardon offense of simple possession of marijuana. This pardon does not apply to individuals who are non-citizens, not lawfully present in the United States, or of the offense yeah so that's what um big daddy jojo he that's what he doing so you know people don't really feel like it's gonna really make that much of a difference and it's only at the federal level it's gonna be a very small amount of people but it is a step in the right direction so change comes slowly it need to hurry the hell up, though. I tell you that much. Free all my niggas in jail for non-violent drug-related criminal offenses, okay? So, the next thing that I did want to talk about was the opioid crisis. Um, The opioid crisis, also known as the opioid epidemic, has been, like, a very hot-button issue in the media, but no one really knows what the opioid crisis is. So the opioid crisis refers to the growing number of deaths and hospitalizations from opioids, including both prescription and illicit drugs. So Morgan, what drugs are a part of the opioid crisis? Well, baby, I'm glad you asked. That would be your Vicodin, your oxycodones, your codeine, your morphine, your methadone, and your fentanyl. All right, so the fentanyl on the streets is known as blues. I'm terrified of fentanyl. Fentanyl is highly addictive, okay? Like, and then fentanyl is also systemically put into our neighborhoods, not in our neighborhoods, but well, 
maybe it is placed in our neighborhoods, but it's scary to sit up here and think that they're using it as a way to me to eradicate homelessness and drug users from off of the street. Now, if they fuck around and give you, if you get laced with fentanyl, you're going to be addicted within a millisecond and then you'll become vigorously sick. Is I be on TikTok, y'all, and I be seeing people that um I don't know if y'all ever see the pages where they'll be out on the street and they'll interview like people who are our age. Some of them kids be like 12, like 15, 17 with their boyfriends and girlfriends on the street, drugged out six months at a time off the blues, off of fentanyl. And it's sad. It's so sad. Like these um two white kids. Now, mind you, originally I thought that the opioid crisis was a white issue. I thought that it predominantly was pertained for the white community. But as I've been doing research, I've been learning that the number of ODs are affecting the black community at a more alarming rate than it is in the white community. I feel like it is severely affecting the white community and it has been for a long time though. Like I was saying earlier, you have to look at the government's response to this opioid crisis versus their response to the crack epidemic. They're creating programs out there in the West for these cracker folks. They make sure they get the help they need, all the counseling, the detox. They make sure that they know what's that prayer, the serenity prayer. May the Lord continue to remind me that I don't need the stuff that I don't need. And then I get the stuff that I need sometime. And sometimes I can't change stuff. Amen. That's a serenity prayer. So there, there's their reaction to the people that they care about. But they can't do nothing about it. Boy, I seen like two 15-year-olds, white boy, white girl, they went out to like some part of California and got stranded, got hooked, and they've been stranded on the street for six months just looking for their next high. And they it just they look zombie-like. They zombie-like. I seen a little 15-year-old. That boy don't give a fuck. He said out his mouth, I don't give a fuck. He think drugs. He think that the type of drugs that he own is cool. Like Americans, especially white Americans, have a long history of, of struggling with opioid opioids. Like in 1950s, you see the white housewife. And let's just let's just go ahead and unpack this for a moment, just so you can see, like, I guess the correlation of the white community as well. So during the 1950s, there was an influx of white women at home with no jobs, doing the cooking, the cleaning, the child rearing, you know, doing like, you know, doing like women supposed to do barefoot pregnant in the kitchen, making sandwiches for men. Yeah, the good old days. Right. So them white women was not just sitting up there, um, you know, raw dogging and bed back in life. They was on them drugs, um, off these motherfucking drugs, off these drugs. Like they was on whatever pill they get their hands on. So number two, um, because medical racism. When women go into hospitals, especially during the same time period, the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, um, you know, there's a high rate of black mortality death amongst women. Now, in opposition, when these white women would go to these hospitals getting ready to give birth, 
like when they would under listen, under medicate us, they would overdose, over medicate them. Then I done read so many different papers, analysis, articles about white women talking about them giving birth in the 1950s, waking up, have a baby, don't even remember them motherfuckers sliding out. That's how overly drugged they are because they look at white women as if they're so fragile and so delicate that they cannot take any harm. So you get this stuff and it's got such a high addictive, high level of addictiveness is just really ridiculous. And I simply just hate that for them. Um, no, not me empathizing with the white woman. So you see, <laughs> not me empathizing with the plight and the struggle of the white woman. You see this long line of drug-related illnesses, and it's something that happens within the private sector. There's something that happens within the home, so you're not it's not really publicized in the public sector. Well, now you have these large groups of white people who are dealing with this opioid crisis, and it's making its way from the private sector, from the home, from the communities out in public, and it's in a very destructive, crazy way. So, y'all, there's something to be mindful of if you are going to take drugs. Number one. I got, I got, I got a list of um tips and stuff. I'll give y'all a list of tips at the end. I'm almost done, guys. Anyway, so ethnicity-wise, black overdose rates exceed whites by four to sixfold, with fentanyl and heroin having a disproportionate impact on the black opioid death. This disparity was aggravated by its intersection with COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. And let me just say this. Yeah, 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 yeah. When 2020 hit, y'all niggas got curious. Y'all niggas wanted to learn some. I promise you, every everybody and they mama, except for me and my whack-ass sister, was sitting at home, tripping off shrooms, seeing the world in Lego form, seeing the world in colors and cartoon form. I'm sitting up here just raw dog life, just barebacking it. Just in this bitch sober. Ain't no way. Yeah, and I, you know what? And I'm not even gonna judge y'all for it. I love it for y'all. I love listening to people's like drug stories, stories of them um being mentally prepared, them like listening to them navigate through these stories as well as what they did. I think I think those stories are really, really interesting because I've never been able to go through it. But even though I have never been on any type of hallucinogenics, any type of drug outside of marijuana. I will say that um, I feel like it's super important to be educated about drugs because what if something happens where you are drugged, you don't know what to do. So that's why it's so important to be educated on situations like this. And I feel like it's important to drive home that these, y'all, these alternative black and brown people, they die from it. So African-Americans and American urban dwellers are vulnerable populations in need of social and political resources to address this ongoing opioid epidemic in under-resourced communities. So where you see in these suburban areas, they have all these different resources to help detox, to educate, to be able to give out different types of resources and information where in these urban neighborhoods, like in California, Texas, 
Jamaica, all these different places, there are none. So they, they don't, what Michael said, they don't care about us. So the earliest reports of the recent opioid crisis identified a sharp rise in unintended pharmaceutical overdose deaths due to overprescribing of opioids. So as the OD calls and pain medication prescriptions were related to street drugs such as heroin laced with relatively inexpensive but potent synthetic opioids like fentanyl and its derivatives, the demographics of those scumbing to opioid overdose has expanded. Yeah, so be careful. Like, that's not no joke. If you're going to do it, be responsible sitting up here and doing it because it's niggas out here dying that ain't never died before. Niggas that will never see the light of day again sitting up here laughing, gee-geeing, and hee-heeing and hollering, okay? So if you're going to do it, because it's not my right to sit up here and tell you to say no and to do all that. If you're going to do it, know what you're doing. Okay. Fentanyl. Not to be confused with pharmaceutical grade fentanyl. <clears throat> pharmaceutical grade fentanyl um, is easy to administer. They it's micromilligrams compared to milligrams, so uh, it's cheaper and it's it's more effective than just using uh, like morphine. But that's not to be confused with street fentanyl. Street fentanyl is clearly 100% a bioweapon. It is to eradicate the problem of drug addiction. They can't house these people. They can't. They can't keep them under medication. They can't program these people. Um, so the only way to deal with this problem is to eradicate it. And anybody who knows, anybody who's an addict, anybody especially opiate addicts, know that fentanyl is 100% addictive. Instantaneously, it is. Uh, you're also instantaneously sick and in need of more. And it is, like I said, micromilligrams. So one micromilligram over and you're not breathing and you're dead. So they drop, China doesn't have to produce this stuff anymore. They just drop off the tools and the substances in order to make this stuff over here. And then they take this, the, the nar narcotics and they make them in the desert and they pill press them. And like say out of one out of a hundred pills will be pure fentanyl so that it kills instantly the 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 addict and then these people chase that they say oh so many they, they know that there's good pills over here so they're constantly chasing this stuff and it has been an overflow of this narcotic everybody is even if you don't want it and it's never really reported on the news um if you go down like just in in let's say pittsburgh streets of pittsburgh right now it looks like um they're zombies literally they're everybody's bent over to the floor knotted out completely out of their minds completely picked apart los angeles los angeles is just oh it's just progressively gotten worse just it is a and market. why is it not on the news it's not on the news they don't they talk don't about it on the news and it's one of the main things that's killing all the people in the united states right yeah, now that's so. Just, so that's a clear indication that it's it, from it, the government it's well it's an agenda it's an agenda to, it's some someone's someone's agenda to eradicate drug addicts drug addicts homelessness um yeah because it's not a huge money maker i mean yeah it is but it's not like cocaine it's not like the the weight of fentanyl compared to, to the street value 
real, real inexpensive. But yeah, that's it's one hundred percent a bioweapon to to eradicate us. While we are on the topic of drugs in popular culture, I wanted to scream from the top of my lungs, free Britney Griner. Okay, Brittany Griner, in case you do not know um, what I want to say, in July, pled guilty um, and is facing up to 10 years in prison on drug related charges. Now, what? At number two, Brittany Griner is a major basketball player and she was in Russia um, playing against uh, another international team. What did she get arrested for? For having vape cartridges full of not even marijuana but it seemed like a synthetic blend of hemp okay and she is being used as a political prisoner as a way to I don't know piss off America and to prove a point and my thing about it is seeing the public's reaction to Britney and to me it feels like the only people that care about Britney being in prison in Russia which number two is horrific no, let me finish my thought. The people who care the most are black women, specifically black women in the LGBTQIA community, queer black women. Okay, I feel like no one cares. Um, I watched an interview that um Brittany Griner's wife did with I want to say CNN, and she is concerned about Britney's mental health. And I'm concerned too, just because the prisons in Russia are some of the worst. Russia is a second world country, I believe in communism. And her wife is afraid that she's not going to make it. She's afraid that she might commit suicide, if not be killed, just because she is a black gay woman in prison over some fucking vape cartridges. So again, I'm going to scream free Britney Griner until the motherfucking cows come home. And this is why we say protect black women. When are y'all going to stand up and say something? I don't see none of y'all with no posters, no tattoos, no nothing. I I just hope that Biden does something to liberate this woman from her demise because we all know that, that, that this is a ploy. Sudden admission from WNBA star Brittany Griner pleading guilty in a Russian courtroom. I would like to... Guilty on the charges. Griner walking into the second day of her trial handcuffed, carrying a photo of her wife, Sherelle. It's been 140 days since she was detained, arrested at the airport for carrying vape cartridges containing hashish oil, now facing up to 10 years in prison. But I had no intention on breaking any Russian law. I was in a rush packing and the cartridges accidentally ended up in my bag. Like many athletes, Griner spends the offseason playing overseas, where she can earn more than her WNBA salary. We're hoping for, for the softest sentencing possible. The Biden administration insists Griner is being wrongfully detained. And, 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 and let me say this. Um, y'all niggas are so influenced by drug cartel culture. Y'all niggas know everything about the mafia. I'm telling you, what's the stoner starter pack for the beginner niggas? Like, yeah, I got to have some type of cartel mafia poster sitting on the board. 
some type of raw cone rolling tray. Ash just sitting on the side of the table desk. Y'all niggas are so predictable. And it's really sad. Y'all don't even own a mason jar to put the weed in. So what is, what is y'all doing? Y'all don't even know <laughs> the history of your people, but y'all will sit up there and celebrate. Y'all will celebrate another person's and another group of people's culture when it comes to marijuana. I guess I just feel like that's weird. And it's also borderline cultural appropriation, if you ask me. Let them Hispanic and them Italian people have what's theirs. Y'all got enough. Y'all, if anything, y'all need to be hollering about Big Meech. Y'all need to be out there um, um, protesting for him. Where the bitches at? Go out there to the prison system and show them your titties. Go do some work for the Lord. Y'all just be everywhere. <sighs> okay. Back to the subject at hand. The positive and the negative effects of drugs and alcohol. Now... It's so many things that I can say about drugs and alcohol right now. You know, y'all can just call me a dare officer. But there are a few things that I really, really want to highlight for you guys this afternoon. Um, Alcohol is really, really dangerous. Like way more dangerous than they live it on to be. I feel like just because alcohol is legalized, people feel like or they associate it with it being healthier or a healthier um, option of being inebriated. And I simply don't agree. It literally takes your brain weeks to recover after you drink alcohol. Like if you drink on Saturday, just once, it's going to take your brain at least three or four weeks to restore the amount of matter that it lost when you drank that one drink. So just imagine the damage that alcohol would do on someone's mind after a year of drinking it um for the spiritual bitches in the bag hey how y'all doing i say yes um they always commonly associate drinking alcohol with the lowering of vibrations they always be saying that there's a reason why alcoholic drinks are called spirits because it'll lower your vibration and give you access give demons access to your bodily autonomy. So, you know, be mindful of that. Because I'll tell you one thing, I ain't never been off, I ain't never been off no marijuana and not remember what the hell I did or where I was going or what I was saying, nothing. That marijuana do anything, make me bold. This body, it'll embolden the bitch, make me giggle or something. But, you know, all that other shit alcohol come with, no. It ain't never been a day in my life where I smoked and then the next day I couldn't get up and do the next thing. That's what marijuana do. Marijuana, um, that's what alcohol do. Alcohol is what will make you lazy, sluggish, and unmotivated. And it's going to put some weight on your stomach. Okay. Now that I done got off my anti-alcohol pill box, let's go ahead and talk about the holistic effects of marijuana and microdosing. Let's be clear. There are positive and negative effects um, concerning um, these drugs that we want to as I guess a community as a society are interested in participate, participating in. So um, I wanted to talk about the positive and negative effects of marijuana. Um, I feel like 
this conversation is like beating a dead horse because we already know that marijuana improves mood levels. It helps decrease anxiety and it lowers stress levels. But cannabis as a whole, every single part of the plant can be used for so many different things. Um, cannabis can be used for medical conditions such as epilepsy, eating disorders, multiple cirrhosis, glaucoma, hepatitis C, arthritis, migraine, nausea, insomnia, so much more. And I think that marijuana does have the healing power to help with so many different things. But I feel like because of these negative stigmas attached to it, um, we want to demonize it and we don't want to look at the positive effects of it. But we also the dope fiends and such. We need to also pay attention to the negative effects of marijuana because no marijuana might not be a gateway drug. There are negative effects to it. Let's just be honest and transparent with, transparent with ourselves. So the number one thing that many people who oppose marijuana have to say is that inhaling smoke can cause lung problems. Okay. So it depends on how you consume marijuana, but regardless of it, when you are consuming and inhaling smoke, it's going to cause lung problems. Um, you can reduce that by what type of papers you use, Rillos, you cut down on tobacco Rillos, maybe using raw cones, maybe using a bong, something like that is going to reduce it. But honestly, it's the lighter fluid when you're sparking it and you're inhaling the lighter fluid, that's what's damaging your lungs, as well as like doing things like hot boxing being in spaces full of smoke that is what hurts your body um the second thing is um the impact that it has on young people it's scary looking back at my childhood and realizing how many people I was going to school with going to school with really were on drugs just in Mississippi, I don't know if they were abusing any hard hard drugs, but there were a lot of students that I went to school with who were coming into class high, um, who sold drugs at a very young age. And we have to consider the fact that drugs and alcohol will impact the um, cerebral cortex. Um, and that's going to create long lasting damage to the decision making how people process emotions the way that you look at life with memory learning and thinking so yes i think marijuana is a beautiful plant but we do need to educate ourselves on it as well as protect children from it i also think that it is very weird very toxic to see these parents um smoking with their children like at a young age, like I think that's weird. Now, if you and your mom smoke and y'all grown and y'all do it, that's fine. But it just kind of breeds a level of messiness that I don't feel like we are talking about right now. So moving on to microdosing psilocybin. So microdosing is the act or practice of taking um, small amounts of a drug in order to test the benefits of it, as well as the psychological actions while minimizing undesirable effects. So I've been seeing this a lot with the white people in their community. They have been, um, they moved past marijuana. They said that's for child's play. They, they want to play with the psilocybin. Those are the hallucinogenic uh, magical mushrooms, right? So what they do is, is they create a schedule. So let's say y'all know it's seven days in a week. So for the first three days of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe the first five days of the week, 
um, they'll take um, small amounts of psilocybin. They'll put it in their tea. That's how people usually do it, or they'll just eat a very small dosage of it. I've seen people take psilocybin pills, like capsules, um, and what you do is you have to regulate it. So you'll do like five days on psilocybin, two days off psilocybin. And there's a lot of creatives who do this because um, psilocybin helps with depression. It helps greatly with depression as well as helping with consciousness, helping you bring out those inner demons from the inside. So they say out to light so you can be able to um, focus and move past like insecurities and stuff. So essentially psilocybin um helps free people from long-held patterns of rumination so that's like anxiety adhd and excessive focus self-focus and interestingly enough um in the 1970s they used to study um the the effects of psilocybin like on a um collegiate level like in colleges um ivy league colleges so like at a master's level they would in groups take hallucinogens and they would test the effects of it. And during the seventies, they were getting very close to figuring out how to treat different types of mental illnesses with hallucinogens, because there's a great study that comes out that says things like, um, psilocybin helps with schizophrenia because, um, for those who go through schizophrenia, which is a mental disorder, they have large levels of DMT already in a, in their blood. So um, like when you urinate, DMT is naturally made in your body, just like cannabis is naturally made in your body. You have cannabinoids that creates um, cannabis-like agents in your body. So there's always there's already a level of DMT um, already inside of your body. So those who are schizophrenic produce more hallucinogens and they see things. So using these um, natural plants, again, is one of the keys to be able to like master mental health. The thing is, is it's dangerous that there is no laws, no legislations around any types of like drugs simply because if we had these laws in place, people would be able to monitor things in order to make sure that people are number one, regulating it, making sure that people aren't tainting it. There's believing that when it is regulated, people, the government would do it in good faith. But you know how things like that go. Um, so a lot of different things to consider when we're talking about the legislation um, and the decriminalization of marijuana just because there is a need for it. There is a need for it just because, number one, especially down here in Mississippi, a lot of people don't know what they're buying. Like if I go up to a nigga right now and I say, what type of what type of smoke you got right there? Then they're going to look at me and say, oh, it don't matter as long as it's smoking. That's problematic. You don't know what it is it's going to do to your body once you consume it. You don't know if it's going to up you, down you, slow you down, speed you up, have you sideways. You don't know. Another thing is like the hyperbreeding of marijuana. Like marijuana is like 50,000 times stronger than it was like in the 1970s. and when they keep on crossbreeding all these different types of marijuana, um, 
there's a higher chance of um the effects of it on your body so if it's so strong you do have the potential of hallucinating having and going through anxiety um being paranoid so y'all there's this another reason why we need to push for like legislation um for it i just feel like there is such a need for the black community to be over this sector of the market once they decriminalize it i feel like the black community has such a large the hispanic community as well has a large upper hand on this market that's why when they legalize it a lot of y'all need to be going ahead and hopping on making sure that you get your you get your license making sure that you get like um your business license and I, I my hope and my prayers that a lot of people get into the marijuana industry and capitalize and dominate the market so that we can make sure that this money is consistently flowing in and out of our neighborhood i hate the fact that um white businessmen have the opportunity to capitalize on and off of it because y'all really don't know what it is that they selling this is like going to the gas station and buying that synthetic weed that they be having out there you're a fool to be buying it Let's just put it like that. But back to um, the positive and negative effects of just drugs in general. Um, I just feel like we just need to be honest with ourselves when we're consuming it. Um, the last thing that I wanted to tackle was the lazy stoner stereotype. So the University of Cambridge, um, it challenges um, this stereotype because, again, Everybody who smokes marijuana, even by their mamas and grandmas, is labeled as lazy, stupid, and unresponsible. Yeah. But the new study connected to the University of Cambridge confutes the stereotype. It indicates that cannabis users aren't actually less motivated or incapable of enjoying life's pleasures than non-users. According to the press release published by the institution, the research also found no difference in motivation for rewards, pleasure taken for rewards, or the brand's response in seeking rewards compared to non-users. So, yes, you can become... Um, dependent on marijuana but it's not like you know you just a bad person just because you smoke marijuana it does not make you any less of a person it does not make you any less of an educator an academic a scholar a child of god it doesn't make you any less and if you don't smoke marijuana if you don't take psilocybin that doesn't make you any more of a person it does not make you like you don't get extra branded points when you go to heaven because you out here raw dog in life and you're not you're not intoxicating your life like it doesn't make you better than anyone at all I don't like alcohol, but y'all don't see me just shitting on people who drink. That's not me, but y'all really do be having a stick up y'all ass when y'all find out somebody doing it. Another thing is, is I really hate when men say this stupid ass shit. Um, they think that women are quote unquote unattractive if they smoke. Bitch, do you think I'm smoking to look cute for you? No. I'm fighting my own demons out this bitch. Ain't nobody trying to look cute while they smoking. If you find it unattractive, that's a you problem. You keep that shit to yourself. Because I swear to God, I ain't never met one bitch that tried to look cute while they was inhaling smoke. I swear to God, that bitch was trying to go talk to God. She was trying to go see what Jesus had in store for her. She was not stunning you. So just keep keep your opinions to yourself. Um, Lastly, I have been having thoughts about... um 
marijuana and drug usage in relationships because I do smoke. I always have thoughts about whether or not I would want, I guess, my partner personally um, to smoke just because one of my biggest fears is that when um, two smokers get into a relationship, they become, I'm afraid that me and my partner might become codependent. And I think that I would like a partner that doesn't smoke weed. But the thing about motherfuckers that don't smoke weed is number one, they boring. Number two, they want to do everything sober. Number three, like, it's just, it's like there's not a really like a connection there. They don't understand it. They also don't understand the enjoyment of doing things while they're high. It's just kind of boring to me. But again, I don't want to be put in a situation where, you know, me and my partner is smoking weed and like we just at this bitch trying to find a roach so we can get high for the day. That's not cute either. So those are my thoughts about um the negatives and positives about um, using drugs, marijuana, and psilocybin in a holistic way, looking at it differently, as well as being realistic and holistic when we're looking at drug and drug usage. So in the next clip, I will be talking about drug safety tips and resources that you can find that are Afrocentric and pro-Black. Theory was that there's a bunch of different benefits. One, low doses of psilocybin have been shown to increase visual acuity. Which and it's given a, to hunting dogs yes. in certain cultures. Yes. Yeah. Make you a better hunter, make you right. more in tune with what you're doing. Um, that it would make you more, it would, uh, central nervous system arousal, including sex arousal, right. make you more which would make you, you more know, productive, appropriate right. more often. And that the, the very unusual effect that psilocybin has on the mind could have led to language and could have also led to the expansion of neurons. The well, language the could be brain... part of cultural evolution. Sure. Yeah. The doubling of the human brain size, though, his take on the stoned, er, er, uh, stoned ape theory, scientifically, why he believes it's, it's really what happened, but that it does coincide with the change in climate of yeah. these, these, you know, ape-like people trying out different things and that the doubling of the human brain size over a period of two million years is like one of the greatest mysteries in the entire fossil yeah, but there are the final part of this episode is going to revolve around drug safety tips and resources so the first resource that i wanted to offer you guys is netflix's have a great trip and um it's an amazing documentary for those who like to watch documentaries, especially when you're high. It has some of the most amazing animatics uh, and anim whatever. They just look like you're tripping balls while you're watching it. I love watching it while I'm high, but it takes a very unbiased look into drug usage. Um, and it learns. It teaches you guys a lot about psychedelics, not just psilocybin, but DMT. And it also gives you DMT, peyote, LSD, Acid, all that. And it also gives like a lot of famous people's accounts of being on drugs. Um, most importantly, um, I feel like when I watch this with niggas, they love ASAP Rocky's interview. He has a really cool interview about the time that um he took, I wanna say, acid or LSD. And he talked about how the meaning of life was love. And it's, it's really funny, but I learned a lot of profound things about life through that documentary. But what makes this documentary stand out so much is the fact that it gives you rules while taking psychedelics or how to consume drugs. And again, 
similarly to this documentary, I'm not here to either convince people to take drugs, nor am I here to convince people to not take drugs. I just want to be here to provide you guys a little bit more structure so that you guys can say, save yourself and be careful while you're doing it. So um, the number one rule I feel like it's to make sure that you're in the right headspace before you consume any type of drug, especially a hallucinogen, just because if you're not in the right mindset, if you got a lot of stuff going on, if you know you struggle with self-esteem issues, anxiety or depression, there's a large chance that um, you will end up having a bad trip. And, you know, that bad trips can last for several hours. And <laughs> I be seeing white people on social media said they've been tripping since 2016. That's scary. So let's make sure that not only that we're going into this process of taking psychedelics um, in the right headspace, but making sure we're doing it with a purpose. Like um, if you do drugs to get fucked up, you gonna get fucked up. Real shit. You gonna fuck around and find out. So that's why you need to do drugs with a purpose. Um, if you're going to take some type of hallucinogenic, I don't know how any of you niggas might get your hand on some peyote or some DMT. You need to come up with a goal. What am I trying to learn out of this experience? Am I trying to learn the meaning of life? Am I trying to figure out what my purpose is in life? Am I trying to figure out why I can't handle my emotions? Am I trying to deal with my mama drama? Am I trying to deal with my baby mama drama? Why is my pussy hurting so much, you know? So make sure that you have a goal at the beginning before you start to do it. Um, the next rule, make sure that you're around loved ones that care about you. That's real. If you get around some people that you don't trust, that will also create a bad trip. So make sure that you are around people, number one, that care about you, but actually love about you. Because even if you do have a bad trip, the people you around are going to make the world of difference. Again, I've never done any type of hallucinogenics. Again, I just feel like it's good to be well endowed and researched about it just in case I do decide to do a hallucinogenic. I'll be prepared and I'll know what to do. Um, the fourth rule is to go out into nature. Um, as black people, we are natural beings. We are the essence of life. And I feel like you're supposed to go out and get grounded. Um, there is a particular story on this Netflix documentary of Princess Leia um, from Star Wars. She struggled with um, drug related abuse for a long time but she told this particular story about how she had the lsd and she found her way to central park and she was laying on the ground and she was high as fuck and it was an acorn down there acting up that's what she said the acorn was acting up it was threatening her you know just imagine going through like <laughs> an experience like that the little acorn was out there doing a little tap dance the jazz number you know we love that um here go your don'ts do not drive on psychedelics. <laughs> I can't stress that enough. If, if I don't, again, on the documentary, they talk about several experiences where they'll be um, on psychedelics and start driving. Then they look up and forget how to drive and they'll be in the middle of the street. <laughs> and I think that that's funny, but that's a dangerous situation to be in. Um, I, one of my personal friends was talking about how she had did um, some type of uh, hallucinogenic and she was driving and the whole world around her turned into a Lego set. Like, you know, me, I'm going to look. One thing about me, I don't need to be driving. Okay, I can barely do it. 
sober. So no, let's not get behind the wheel of a car. Let's call an Uber. Let's find us a DD. Okay. Um, the final do not rule is don't look in the mirror on psychedelics or maybe do look in the mirror on psychedelics. If you personally, I would cover up my mirrors just because, um, especially when you're doing, uh, those really, um, unpredictable drugs, something like LSD, where you can have the potential of having a bad trip. You look in the mirror, you're going to be able to see, um, your skin might be translucent. You know, you might see something within yourself that'll scare the dog shit at you. Don't look in the mirror if you can help it. Or maybe do look in the mirror. Maybe you look in the mirror and find out you ain't as bad of a person that you think you are. Maybe you look in the mirror and you see the man in the mirror. I don't know. Um, These are just a general set of rules. But for more in-depth look, make sure that you check out Netflix's Have a Good Trip series. I think it's amazing. Um, The next thing that I want to... um give you guys is to obtain your medical marijuana card um specifically for those who are in mississippi they recently just passed the um uh, a little law they said that we can get our marijuana cards um the thing about it is um the marijuana cards in mississippi the conditions to get the cards um include cancer parkinson Huntington's, hiv and aids sickle cell seizures and um a few more but what is not qualified under this medical marijuana bill is health conditions like depression, anxiety, or insomnia. And you know, uh, we, we, like I said, we smoking weed to keep from being depressed. That don't help. But one day they will. My goal, my hope is that they uh, stretch the limits to allow people to be able to consume marijuana for depression, anxiety, and insomnia. But for those who do fall into these categories, um, America, a medical marijuana card in the state of Mississippi only costs $25, okay? If you got 25 buckaroos, big ones, 25 pieces of cabbage, you go out there and you do what the Lord inspired you to do, Okay. Um, random rules for marijuana consumption. Um, I've always been told to watch people when they roll. So if someone pull out a little blizzy, little gorilla pinky, little eight thumb, and you didn't watch them roll it, you be skeptical. Ask a few questions. Don't just trust any and everybody because you don't know what people will lace you with. That's not coming from paranoia. That's from me actually being in college long enough to see people get laced, lose their mind and have to drop out of school. Like that's real shit. So be careful out here. Um, I wanted to introduce you guys to a term called greening out. So what is greening out, Morgan? Excellent question. Greening out is when um, someone who consumes THC from cannabis becomes acutely sick. It's known as greening out. And this experience is usually THC dose related or you're having you're consuming way more than usual. That's why it is important to eat before you smoke because smoking marijuana will cause your blood sugar to drop. So if you struggle with um, diabetes type 1, type 2, or like unregulated blood sugar levels, um, inhaled marijuana tends to have more of an immediate impact on blood sugar. Some people report that the levels of their blood sugar drop immediately after consumption, or and it also will cause brain fog that can stay in your system for up to three days. So what should you do if somebody is greening out, or if you personally are greening out? Bitch, go eat. Go find something to drink. Um, most personally, if someone is feeling lightheaded, um, give them something sweet to drink, um, juice 
or sugar water, anything. Just make sure that they're hydrated and make sure that they have something in their system so that they can bounce back. It, honestly, if you feel sick anyway while you're consuming marijuana, the best idea you can have is to eat. That's the honest to God truth. Um, the final piece of advice I wanted to talk to you guys about today. Come in, listen. How to respond to an overdose. I personally feel like um drugs like um opioids have not found their way to the south yet, especially Mississippi. But when they do, it's going to take our uneducated um poor communities out first and those communities are historically black or they the um trashy whites so i wanted to talk to y'all about nick salon um nick salon in um hold on nalazon hold on nalazon n-a-l-o-x-o-n it's a narcotic okay so you give people this shit when they are in an overdose emergency situation, okay? So let's talk about that real quick. If you are around someone who is potentially overdosing, um, you have to pay attention to slow or stop breath. Make sure you're checking pulses, nick point, points, wrist points, in between their fingers. Call 911. Check to make sure that they're responsible. Give them nicks alone, okay? You place it in the tip of a person's nostril or nose and make sure that you are giving them rescue breaths. Make sure that their mouth is clear and you stay and help them until health, um, people rep- um, come and help y'all, okay? Um, uh, sidebar, it will not hurt a person if you give them this narcotic and they're not overdosing. There's no no harm to the person if they're not. But just to be careful, I feel like it takes a mature person to go ahead and invest in something like um, next lunch just to have it around them just in case they know their homeboys be popping perks or be doing any type of um opioid or drug just in case something happens. That's a life or death situation. Y'all make sure that we are being proactive and not reactive okay um be mindful that media has propaganda in it the drugs that you see people consume and how they act out on television is not real life whatsoever so make sure that you are being mindful you are well educated and researched on what you're about to do make sure that you have thought about it over and over again before you decide to do it okay tc love y'all Is there anyone out there who still isn't clear about what doing drugs does? Okay, last time. This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? Shout out to the slaves. Yeah, shout out to the slaves. You feel me? Shout out to Harriet Tubman. That shout was out to the real niggas. Shout out to the real niggas. And shout out again to all those people who hate my guts. Y'all are doing a justice and an effort to the world. Keep breaking these men down one at a time. You are obsessed and sick. Yes, you guys, it's time for the biggest, blackest, sloppiest, toppiest, greasiest, fattest, obese, type 2 diabetic shout out with hypertension and glaucoma and the gout. Yes, it's time for the big black shout out. 
<laughs> all right. So as we all know, the big black shout out is an opportunity to help circulate the black dollar into our communities and for audience members to explore black owned hidden gems. So as we all know, during the month of November, we will be plugged in. That's right. It's plugged in November. And here at the Afrocentric podcast, we are shameless plugs so with that being said i wanted to give all of my black owned businesses an opportunity to promote their businesses throughout the month of november absolutely free that's right we plugged in and we are charging y'all zero ninety nine free five finger discount deep fried and put cheese on the top that's right yes amen so again, with that being said, if you have a business or you know someone that has a business that really would like to be advertised for the free scheme, make sure you are emailing me at the Afrocentric Podcast. That's Afrocentric Podcast at gmail.com. And I wanted to give a special big black shout out to the businesses that are being promoted this month. Shout out to you guys. Hey, what's good, y'all? It's DJ Calhoun here from 88 Recording House on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, checking in with Morgan Grant and Afrocentric Podcast. For all of your recording, editing, mixing, and DJ needs, holla at me, OG Calhoun at iCloud.com. My name is Darian Lane. I am CEO of Currency Camp and D Lane Live. Currency Care focuses on credit repair and tax preparation. I use the Fair Credit Reporting app to dispute inaccurate and outdated information on credit reports. D-Lane Lounge designs focus on custom prints and monograms. We offer business cards, thank you cards, next appointment cards, gift certificates, custom stickers, labels, t-shirts, and more. I am located out of Orange Beach, Alabama. Follow my personal Instagram and click the link in my bio. The link in my bio has the link of all of my social medias as well as my Amazon storefront. If you want to learn more about repairing your credit or filing your taxes, follow us on social media. Operation I Am is a nonprofit organization that promotes suicide prevention and bring aware and brings awareness by giving advice to the people that has been silenced. This website is designed for you to share your story without sharing your name. It allows you to use your voice without having a fear of people knowing who you are. We are currently offering six free therapy sessions with licensed therapists to learn more about Operation I Am. Visit www.operationiam.com. Again, that's www.operationiam.com. Please forgive me for any sins in which I committed. Those I know of and those I don't know, Lord. Lord, please forgive me for beating this bitch ass today, Lord. Lord, please forgive me for thinking about beating her ass again, Lord. Please rebuke all these demons that's in this house, Lord. I pray Is that to really you, necessary? First, I like to give honor to God, who is the head of my life. I like to usher the saints in for another altar call this after morning yes lord i just wanted to remind y'all that i'm here and i'm yet praying and fasting and hoping and believing that god will make a way out of no way yes lord um 
today I wanted to announce that the Afrocentric Church of God and the Church of the Living God will be doing a donation drive for the Republican Party. Yes, that is correct. Since they were expecting a big red wave, we will be we will be giving and donating and connecting them with big wide maxi pads, wet wipes and menstruation cups. And we will be accepting donations in the foyer. You don't have to move the mountain, but give me the strength to climb. And love, don't take away my stumbling blocks, but lead me all around. Lord, I don't bother nobody. I try to treat everybody the same. But every time I turn my back, they scandalize my name. Now, as you will recall last week, the Afrocentric Methodist Episcopalian Church of God in Zion, we decided to take our hands off of Krishan Rock and stop our 12 day Daniel fast. Because over here we be leading and fasting and hoping, and we even popped into the prayer closet over their relationship. But let me tell you something the devil will show you how to get in trouble, but uh, he won't show you how to get out. Hey, shut up. That's Bible. That's scripture. And now we see the Lord's effects of wickedness. Yes. See, the Bible say the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And right now we are seeing the Lord take his hand off of Blueface and Christian. So all we can do is pray for mercy. I just want to thank you guys again for being Afrocentric today. Thank you so much for choosing to sit down and listen to me talk about drugs in American culture, the correlation between the black history and marijuana, as well as other drugs in our country, as well as exposing the government with me today. All right, y'all make sure that y'all don't talk too much while y'all in rotation, okay? Remember to puff, puff, and pass, all right? Make sure you pass that thing with your right hand and make sure y'all smoke enough for me. Smoke in my honor, okay? All right, so again, thank you so much for choosing to be Afrocentric today. Please remember that Black Lives Matter. We gonna listen and protect Black children and Black women, right? Mm-hmm. And the only thing you must do in this lifetime is be black and die here at the afrocentric podcast remember that we are just civilized people having civilized conversations and if you like this podcast and you want to hear more from me make sure that you're liking following and subscribing y'all have a good rest of the day okay bye-bye i know you don't smoke weed i know this but i'm gonna get you high today Cause it's Friday, you ain't got no job, and you ain't got shit to do.